Good morning. How are we? Some of you may be wondering who is this guy standing up here right now. But uh, my name is Marshall Gallagher, and uh, I have the joy of bringing the word to you this morning. Uh, I've been here for about a month and a half, uh, maybe almost two months, uh, really hoping to serve you all, Redeemer. Um, but what I've found is you all have been serving me far more. So one thank you. Uh, and I've been uh, in the capacity of a church planting resident. Um, and so Andy and Jamie sat down with me uh, last week, and we kind of talked about the, uh, or t- I guess two weeks ago, talked about my role, and, and it's on that podcast. If I don't know if everybody listens to it, or if it's, I'm not that interesting that you would go listen to a podcast, but if you want to hear more about the role in the church planting residency and kind of what I'm doing here, my story, uh, it, we just covered all that. So one, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for allowing me to come uh, bring the word to you, uh, and I kind of have the role of batting cleanup today. Um, I grew up playing baseball. I was never the fourth batter, and this is the fourth, the last part of this series on mission, proclaiming peace, of course, connecting with Christ, coming to us to proclaim peace, and then, and then how that impacts us ought to drive us to do that to everyone around us. But so I'm, I'm kind of fourth, you know, I was leadoff batter, second or third, sometimes sixth or seventh Never, never clean up. But I also know the job of the cleanup batter is to just knock some runs in, right? And so my job today is hopefully just to connect a couple more dots for you all um, to, to not necessarily get everybody on the same page with everything, but just expand that idea of what mission is, uh, what that word missional means, um, just to expand it a little bit more, move us down the road just a little bit more as a group collectively And uh, Stephen was joking that I'm going to be going from behind because we started out with the kids reciting Psalm 1. So I've got a lot of work to do to to earn your affection because I can't. There there were some performers up there, wasn't there? I mean, there were kids who were just reaching out to the microphone. And and I saw them practice. They didn't do that in practice. I knew what they were thinking. They're like, "I'm, I'm not showing my cards when I go up here and practice. I'm going to jump on the microphone when it's the real performance. So, and then one of the kids like really got into that voice of the wicked thing. Did you guys notice that? And he started to, I was like, okay, these kids really owned it. So that was great. Um, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll dive into the scripture here. Lord, uh, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Thank you for all the kids and the workers uh, in the rooms, faithfully teaching them your word and your truth and your love. Um, God, I pray that you would open all our hearts, that you would speak through me, that you would help us understand uh, not just the, the text and the exegesis this morning, but that uh, we would really uh, align with your heart for your people in mission. Uh, we would see how that connects with uh, this time right now that we're celebrating of Christmas and your incarnation and, and how it connects for your love for us, the world uh, and especially for those who do not know you, Lord. So give us that heart. Give us some ears to hear this morning. Uh, and bless our time together. All right, so uh, in verse 18, uh, it really kind of recaps what uh, Spencer and Jamie and Ben had been talking about the last couple weeks. It says, for through him we both have access, talking about Jews and Gentiles, and that's everyone, so we all have access. Uh, and that's really lining up all of Christ's work is we now have access 
something we probably take for granted. And maybe if you've grown in the church, you haven't thought about not having access to Christ. But because of what he's done, uh, because of we were excluded, he brought us near. Jamie talked about that proximity. And then the peace last week, the tearing of the curtain, killing the hostility, that's all those things separating us from the access of God is gone away. So we now have access to the Father, and that is a great kind of summary statement of what has come before. Um, and it's really what we have as individuals, right? And, and this morning, kind of move to what we all have collectively, right? Almost every single you ought to, you should, what you now have is actually like a y'all. I can say that here, it's great in the South. We get, okay, there are all these y'alls in scripture that really are just used, but it's y'all. Y'all have access. And so 19, Paul says, it's kind of like a therefore, so then. Because we have this access, because we have this connection with God that we did not have before, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Think about that. You are no longer, and and maybe some of you here today just need to sit there for the rest of the message. And and that's my first point. It moves from stranger to family, alien to citizen. And think about who you were before Christ came and got you. Paul's saying you are no longer, you are no longer hopeless, you are no longer godless, you are no longer excluded, you have access, you are no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer uh, different, outside, but you've been brought into the family, into the household of God, it says. You're no longer an alien. You're no longer trying to earn your status. You're not trying to be worthy enough to stick around, to be accepted, to be welcomed into the community. You're a citizen. You don't have to worry about being taken out and displaced back to where you came from and Everything about Satan and darkness is trying to convince you otherwise. If you are in Christ, you are no longer stranger or alien. There is no going back to who you were. It's something I need to hear every single day. I hope that you preach that to yourself every single day. And if you have not understood that in Christ, I wanna invite you to that. You don't have to be defined of who you were. Later, earlier I guess in the Bible, later in time, Paul talks about uh, you are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. You are no longer, you are part of a family, part of a citizenship of the kingdom of God. And and I hope you're starting to pick up on the the really collective, communal, plural language. Did y'all notice that? I mean, it's very hard to be a citizen of just one person. If you're a member, it's kind of implied you're a member with other people. If you're a household There's an implication that it's with others, and and Paul's doing that intentionally, especially with that household word. Uh, Back then, that would have really hit people. Of course, think the first century, you're in Rome, citizenship was important, but household was the most important thing. You worshiped all the gods of your household. You followed in line with your household. 
Uh, You even married kind of in broader households. It was the number one thing culturally and socially that you were joined together with. How how many brothers do we have in in the audience? Brothers? Brothers? Yeah? Okay, we have brothers. I see some kind of like elbowing going on there with a couple brothers sitting down. But so brothers, uh, if you were a brother in the first century, and I'm middle, so I have an older brother and a younger brother. If you were the older brother, your job in society was to go around opening every single door you could for your younger brother, helping him get up, be successful. Say, my little brother is the greatest. You have got to meet, you've got to get him in this opportunity. You you have to hear about him. He is competent. He can do so well in, in whatever industry you were in. Your whole purpose was to help your little brother up. And if you were a little brother, your purpose was, oh, my older brother is so wonderful. He's so great. He's so successful. Look at all that he is doing for us. Look at all that he's doing in society. And you were, we just exclaim the wonder and honor and glory of your older brother. There was no such thing as sibling rivalry. And me as a middle brother, I just kind of, it makes me sick in a way. What? That's my job is to help both my older and younger brothers all the time. But that's what it was. Household was everything. So now Paul says, you all, y'all are the household of God now. It's incredibly important. That is your primary allegiance is now brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus spoke about this. Paul's Paul's just coming off of what Jesus said. He said, at one point, following me, making a decision to follow me, would draw lines in the family where father would be against son and daughter against mother. He knew what this meant. And, And even today, we see this in a lot of Muslim countries. Sometimes the best thing that happens to that family is that that one person who comes to know Christ and admits and confesses that they are a Christian, is ostracized from the community. A lot of times, a lot of worse things happen to those families, even of converts. And so we, just, we see how this household of God is supposed to be a supreme thing that we're a part of. And so our kind of culture, Redeemer, Nashville, evangelicals, we are just not very good at this. And, and it's not intentional, but we just don't understand this corporate communal togetherness like a lot of other Christian cultures do. Uh, you kind of look outside of individualistic America and they do this a lot better than us. And so we can really learn from them. Uh, even in how we read scripture, it's always kind of focused on me and Jesus and, and don't hear that the personal me and Jesus is unimportant. It's, I, I pray earnestly that everyone here would be in a just explosive personal relationship with Jesus to where you can feel you and Christ coming together. But we focused on it for so long that that we don't even realize what we've missed out on this kind of collective community all together, right? From pre-K reciting Psalms all the way to us taking communion together. We we don't realize how we've missed it. And so you may be thinking... um, you know, well, my personal devotion with Jesus, my morning devotionals, that's the most important thing for me. And we don't realize that when we only focus on that, so don't, don't hear one or the other, but hear that we have almost kind of neglected the corporate version of 
this community, this household, when we only focus on that, what we miss is that Jesus is just as interested in gathering us together with other believers so that they can help us grow in the Lord, so that they can mention uh, sins and pieces that we might not understand about God's love. They can encourage us along when we fall down and stumble. And if we are just by ourselves, we will miss that. And so even for me personally, I don't know if you connect with this, but uh, in a small group, I'm the guy where there's usually one person who talks a ton. I talk a ton. And so I'm probably, that's why it kind of bugs me with the other people who talk. But it's almost every time you get together, they're kind of venting about all the problems in their life. And so, oh, well, this week was just terrible. It was this. And and they'll go on and on and they'll talk for, and you're kind of hoping the leader might kind of scoot the conversation along. And and so I, I will just honestly tell you, I just start to kind of get annoyed I said, I'm like, oh gosh, okay, I'm, I'm not really growing from this. I'm not really learning about this. And, all and what I'm missing, what I am missing in that scenario is that Jesus is just as interested in cultivating and creating in me a character that will sit and listen to someone just complain about a problem they have no intention of changing anything about and for me to just build my patience and build my sacrificial love and listening to a person go on and on about something, especially when I would not naturally want to hear and more uh, and hear everything about that, right? I'm, I'm missing that he is just, Jesus is just as interested in cultivating a sacrificial love for someone like that in a small group as he is about my ability to explain Ephesians to someone. But when we think about it, it just my personal devotion to Jesus, we miss out on a huge benefit of this corporate, awkward, messy walk with all of us here. And that is exactly what Paul wants us to understand. He doesn't outright say it because it's such an implication back then that it would mean something. And so I just want to encourage and challenge you all to really dig in deeper with one another I mean, you saw it up here. It was a perfect example. I mean, my son didn't know that. uh, Like, he he was just trying to kind of talk with the other kids and recite the psalm and and mimic the hand gestures and stuff. And then you had the kids who were just, they could do it blindfolded in any kind of situation. But that's a picture of the body. It's not perfect. And even us watching them... The only reason you might be watching is because it's a little cute kid. Or it's like, okay, those kids are really growing in discipleship. But that just represents two parts of the body that are both important. And so all of that together is far more beautiful and can proclaim the gospel way more than just us as individuals. And so it probably seems foreign because it's not the atmosphere and the waters we're all swimming in where, you know, You may be here because the style at another church didn't fit and there may be someone who leaves in a couple weeks because the style of church. There are so many churches and so many options that we kind of buy into individualized, preference-based community. And then we get 10 or 15 years down the road and we wonder, we're not not growing. Why do we not know other Christians? And and it's just because we've missed this. So I want to encourage you to dig in more with that collective, corporate nature Um, that is all over scripture. And if you look for it, it'll light the whole Bible up. Um, But so, let's kind of keep moving on that. 
uh, says that we are members of God's household, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together, being built together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you or y'all are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. And so we are being built. The second point is we're being built into a temple. And no offense, but when I look around the room, and especially when I look at myself, the thing that comes to mind is not temple, right? It's not ornate. It's not pristine. Those are adjectives that have never really described me. (laughs) When I look in the mirror, I don't think, oh, yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful temple, smooth, no rough edges, reverent. Right? Those are not adjectives that just have always described me, but, but yet God sees me that way. God has picked us all to be temples because his spirit dwells in temples. So go ahead, look around the room and just think, okay, this is the temple of the Lord right here. Right here. And we are being built together to do that. I mean, you even hear the corporate language there. And so uh, that feels a little daunting, right? That I am a temple of the Lord, that we all are temples. And thankfully, we have a foundation, right? We can look back and say, okay, we have, we have a foundation to be built on. We don't have to come up with something on scratch, uh, from scratch as far as what we're supposed to do or or how we're supposed to look, or anything like that. And so let me just read out a couple references, and you'll see this track record of what we are supposed to look like as we are built and grow together. Uh, In Genesis, God coming to Abraham. He says, and I will make you, Abraham, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. That might have been where the kind of individualistic faith you stopped and it became y'all for the rest of the Bible. But so it's so that you will be a blessing. And then Exodus, talking to Moses and the Israelites, this is the message that was supposed to come to them. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So knowing, knowing that, right, we're no longer slaves. We've been freed. We've come to know the Lord. And Zechariah, O house of Judah, house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. And then 1 Timothy 3.14, Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So see a couple things right there. You you were supposed to be a blessing. I will save you. I will bring you out of Egypt. You will know me. You will be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. You will hold it together. A lot of this language does not just stop with Israel or stop with Abraham. Throughout all of scripture, and that was just four references, there are probably a hundred more. The purpose of this temple is to be expansive, 
to be a blessing to other people, to be outward moving, outward thinking. Because that's what happened to us. We, we, we were not inside and, and then we met, we were out, right? Jesus came near, he brought us in, he took down the dividing wall. And so even Jesus picks up on this. You're the salt of the earth. You're not here for you. What do you do with the light, right? What do you do with the lamp? Do you hide it? No. The, the message, and, and so here's how it connects to this mission. Our mission has been the same since the beginning. All throughout the Bible, the mission of God's people is not different because the mission of God is not different. Jesus is not, or I mean, even think of Genesis 1.1, what if Genesis 1-1 was just silence and it was just God enjoying himself? No. It exploded into life. Even, even when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, there was a plan in place to bring people back to God. I and mean, even think about, you know, cute little baby Jesus. That's God breaking into humanity for the purpose of a rescue mission so it spreads. There, there is everything moving outward about the whole message of Scripture, the whole narrative. And so our mission has always been to be a blessing, to carry God's glory and the gospel to others. And so I named the sermon The Place of Mission. And again, what, think, where does this mission occur? And, and I love that part of y'all's story answers this question. And you could even say, well, the church. Okay, well, where is the church? Is it the YMCA or is it Bonita Parkway? You all know that it is much bigger than that. Right? Redeemer's mission did not change. You didn't leave it when you got here. And Grace Christian Church your mission didn't end when Redeemer got here. Where mission takes place is y'all, all of us, wherever we are. It's not confined to a building, and you all know that, and it's exciting that you can look back and see the growth, see where you have been, where you have gone. You didn't lose anything by moving, and you're, you don't lose anything anywhere you go. And so that expands the definition of where mission takes place. And really the answer is who does it take place in? It's every single one of us. And we have a, we have a purpose, we have a mission to follow God wherever uh, he is, and he is expanding into the entire world um, I'm just really glad that I'm not doing all the building, right? That it's not my church that I'm building. So I'm planning on planting a church in East Nashville. I am glad I can go to verses like, uh, even right here, look at, look at 21. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. We are being built by the spirit. It's Christ's church. He said, I will build my church, not 
you guys build the church, he's building it, so we have a lot of help. Thank goodness, right? Because we're messy, we do not do it well, but it's the spirit who is building this church. And so as we walk this out, the more we are Christ's, the more we kind of dig into this collective nature, we ought to resemble him and his household. And so the third point is just kind of walking into that family resemblance, right? And so think of your own family. What are the little characteristics, what are the little quirks about your family that that are identifiable really quickly, right? Maybe it's red hair, everybody has glasses, maybe everybody's really, really tall. Think about what, what identifies your family kind of, and it's tough, I mean, I would say, I, I don't look like my mom. And unless you know my mom, and then you're like, oh, yeah, you do. And, and so think about, think about your in-laws' family resemblance. Think about their little quirks, their similarities. What, or, or if you don't have in-laws, think about your best friend's family. It's way easier to see their resemblance, right? I mean, I, I, today is, is six-year wedding anniversary, and my wife thumbs up, yeah. And, but I, and I know, and, and my father-in-law is right here, even in six years, I know that to, to go the laundry list of all the little quirks and family resemblances of her family, you just don't do, <laughs> publicly. No, but it, there are little things that you can immediately notice, right? You immediately think of when you see other families, and so that, that's what's a little tough about this whole resembling the household of God is, yes, we, we need to ask ourselves, are you resembling the household of God? But really what we need to ask ourselves is, what do others see us resemble? How are we viewed from the outside? Like what, what would ways that people would see in you And then them think, okay, I I know what family, I know what heavenly father, what heavenly family they're resembling. It's very clear because of these little quirks here and there and these characteristics. And And so it needs to just challenge us a little bit. And so this is really the application of, of because we have access, now we are part of the family. So how do we work that out? How do we work out our family, where we are, how we live out that resemblance day to day. And so Paul picks it up a little bit of how we ought to do that in Ephesians 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, so I urge y'all to live worthy of the calling you have received. Okay, so what's the calling? That could be another series but it's at least to be a part of the household of God. This is not a negotiable thing. There is not a definition of a Christian in Scripture that is alone or that isn't just implied that they're with a group of other Christians. And so I don't want to go so far as to say you always have to be a member of a local church because I know there are certain exceptions. You may have just moved here. This may be your second week in Hendersonville, and so I'm not going to say that, well, now you're disobeying the will of God, but... Being, and and I would say, if you're a part of Redeemer, you consider yourself a part of Redeemer, I would say become a member of Redeemer and join the local body here. Um, But that can look differently all across the world. 
But if you're intentionally set on not opening your life to other Christians, well, frankly, I don't see how you can follow the will of God. Because his will for you is to be around other Christians. His will for you is to live with other Christians. The Holy Spirit intends other Christians to be around you so that he can speak to you. And so at least that is what we are called to. And so here's how that ought to look. With all humility, verse 2, chapter 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I'll admit right now, that does not describe how I approach everyone inside the church and everyone outside the church. But you have to ask yourself, does that resemble you? Is that the family you're resembling? And if it's not, what family, what group are you resembling? I mean, for for those of us who have been hurt from a church, are they resembling all humility and gentleness? striving for unity and the bond of peace? Is is that how your small group is viewed from people outside? Is that how we all treat each other here every Sunday? Is Is that what others see on our Facebook comments? And this is, this is great because I don't know y'all well enough to like have secret things that I'm trying to bring up about individuals here. But, but really, like broadly, think about it for yourself. How do others view you? Or is it with humility, with gentleness? Are we accepting the way Jesus accepted us when we were hostile, when we were without God, when we were far away? And, and if I know any group of Christians... I know that some of y'all are thinking, yeah, that's right. We need to love and accept people the way Jesus did and not come down real hard on them with the Bible. And then there's another side saying, okay, here we go. Guy, East Nashville, it's coming out in him. He couldn't help it. He's just wanting to accept and love everybody and not talk about the truth of Scripture and all that. And that's actually proving kind of the point of that it takes all of us So people like me who have a propensity to say, well, but scripture, here's what doctrine says. We need to be told by this group who just openly loves everybody, doesn't matter where they come from or what they look like, anything like that. They'll never say a a negative thing to them. They never want to upset them. I need that person to tell me that sometimes I come across like a jerk. But they need me to sometimes say, hey, We want to see them grow in truth because that is where life is found. And so you all need each other. Every person here is a part of the body. Paul talks about this in many other places, especially in Corinthians, where he's basically saying God created every single one of you in the way he did for an intention and a purpose to help all of us grow together. Paul talks about this just a couple of verses later in chapter four. That he gave the church, y'all, us, so that we could grow together in maturity. And so the non-participation, you're actually hurting everyone, especially yourself. So that's how we ought 
to approach with gentleness, humility. And so Ray Ortland, who's a, who's a pastor in Nashville, wrote a little book called The Gospel. Um, and I think it, the subtitle is How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. And so he talks about this tension, right? The, the gospel doctrine, sound doctrine with gospel culture. So a culture, a way we treat people both inside and outside that would reflect the gospel. So he said, if you have strong doctrine, but you haven't let it apply in how you treat people, you're just a hypocrite. And so think about this. If we approach someone who is far from God, hostile from God, and we approach them like they're a monster, right? I can't believe you would think about that. I can't believe you would vote this way. I can't believe you would support something like that. All we're doing is communicating that we do not understand how the gospel came to us. We, we have forgotten the last three sermons if that is how we're communicating to people outside the church. We haven't understood in our gospel doctrine to let it shape us that we were far, we were outside, we were without hope, without God, and the blood of Jesus brought us near. And, and conversely, if we're just open and accepting and loving and, and we, we are not gonna say anything, we're not gonna bring up any parts of the hard truths of scripture confronting our sin that would kill us, we're not gonna talk about that, we're just gonna be open and welcome, affirm any kind of lifestyle, any kind of pursuit, any kind of belief, well, we're, we're weak. We have no power, we're, we're just hostage to all the changing doctrines of the day and people-pleasing. And so we, we've lost the doctrine of the gospel, the belief of the gospel. But when we have both, when we cling tightly to the truth and the doctrine of the gospel, we let that inform how we treat one another inside the church, we're forgiving one another, we're calling one another to the repentance, and it informs who we talk to, how we talk to people outside the church. It is the most powerful thing you could possibly imagine. And the church takes this role of mission just in how they treat one another, how they treat people outside the church that is attractive. I remember when I was 15, saw a bunch of college students hanging out in our parking lot, and I was so confused by why. That was not what college students did in my mind, and they would give us rides. They'd take us to McDonald's. They would just love us for no reason at all, and then I would see them eating together and hanging out with one another and really intimately engaging in one another's lives, and it just, it freaked me out. I I couldn't explain it until I got the gospel. That attraction of their community is what drew me in. And, and I remember it all, I, it all coming together, me understanding it. That is exactly what those young life leaders did and that's what they had. They held tightly to truth, tightly to their gospel culture. And I, I couldn't explain it, but I had to have what they had. And I promise you, especially today, especially in the environment today of the culture, 
People are longing to see that. They are longing for truth and they are longing for love. And we have the power to do that collectively that we will never, ever have by ourselves. And so I want to broaden that definition of mission, that it is not just going overseas or starting a church somewhere, but it, it, it is those things, but it's actually just how you live every single day. If everyone went to another country as a missionary, there would be no one here, right? I mean, so you could be just as much of a missionary as a stay-at-home mom having a play date and just loving a person who does not know Christ as you could halfway around the world talking to a people group who have never heard that name before. Everyone here is a missionary. That is just lining up with that building of God's temple, not rejecting that foundation, not rejecting the plan of where we've come from. We are part of the plan. You all are part of God's plan to bring the nations to himself, to bring Gentiles to himself. And so it gives us all purpose. It gives us all something exciting to do. And so I would hope And I want to challenge us all. Doesn't mean you have to abandon everything you're doing, but just take your life and just look at it through a missional lens. Look at it through that pursuit of, all right, what do I love to do? What do I already, who do I already know? And how am I, am I living out? Am I resembling God's family? And then that, probably the best way to resemble it, am I missionally reaching out to people? And I know for some of us that's terrifying, and that's okay, but just welcoming one more person into your group may be a huge step for you, and so don't just discount that maybe you're just an introvert and the idea of standing up on a stage and doing all this, but there's, no, there's nothing better about me just preaching to a lot of people than just having one-on-one coffees and being a faithful, loving coworker, or a boss who, who goes above and beyond kind of what their employees might expect that somebody would do. And it doesn't mean say, hey, I'm giving you a ride, but if we were to crash today, do you know where you would end up in heaven? And it's not necessarily that. Just broaden the definition of what mission is, of just reaching out, being willing to engage and love people who are far from God, it can be very simple. And we do have the Holy Spirit to do that. And so mission, resembling God's family, how we love and treat each other inside the church, how we treat each other outside the church, but it's also what we celebrate, right? And so baptism celebrating baptism, that we we see someone going from dark to light, becoming a part of the household of God. And And then celebrating, like we will in a minute, the Lord's Supper. And if the worship team wants to head up now, um, we'll just kind of roll into communion. But celebrating it week after week, maybe you guys have not thought about this, but you're actually proclaiming the gospel to one another. Does that sound like it's, it's making too much of it? You're actually proclaiming the gospel to one another when you take communion. Just when you look next to you and you, maybe you know that that person's kind of messy. 
I'm messy. And, and praise God that I am not building my hope, building my acceptance, building my citizenship on what I bring to the table, right? It's, it's built on the new covenant. It's built on Christ, his blood, even going back a couple verses. You who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And when you take that, when you take that cup, whether you realize it or not, you are proclaiming that I am here because of the blood of Christ. And you celebrate that. That's why it's a celebration. And you can, you can be solemn and pour out your heart before God. But when you take it, throw it back. It is a celebration. You are, you are giving witness to everyone in the room that here's where I stand. And, and you know, of course, it's in remembrance. It's symbolic. But you're saying, yeah, I, I am here. I'm accepted I'm a member, I'm part of God's family because of what Christ did represented in this exchange, not because of something I bring to the table. I'm no longer a stranger, no longer an alien, but because of this cup and this bread, that is how I know I'm here and I'm loved by God because of what he did. And so if, if the ushers for communion wanna uh, come down, um, really want this to be for those of us who, one, just admit we were far off and we were brought near by this blood. That's it. That's it. And so that it can get complicated and we can explain it a lot of different ways and deeper ways, but it's I was far off and I was brought near because of the work of Christ on the cross, because what he has done for me and we all have access to that if you want it. I pray that you want it.